welcome to the Adapting Places podcast. Uh, this is an episode I'm re-recording because I'm trying a new thing. Um, a series discussing uh, what I'll be calling digital place branding rules. Uh, and I'm doing these as I walk around the place I live in just to keep things grounded and not overly theoretical. Uh, I think it helps me with my thinking. But the first time I recorded it yesterday, uh, turned out uh, I was on mute the whole time on the conference call to I'm using to record this. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I, I'd call that a prototype. Uh, it definitely helped me shape my ideas, which is one of the reasons I think that this format will really help me personally. So obviously, uh, if you're listening out there, you're a place brand manager or you deal with anything related to place, it might not be necessarily the long-term brand strategy. You might be involved with some of the marketing and the promotion or straight selling uh, might be helpful to you. But it's helpful to me to refine my ideas and make them more practical. Uh, I've been on my PhD journey now for, uh, this is the fourth year out of six in a part-time study. So I think it's important now that all of the thinking that uh, I've done to start being brought back to reality. And I'm doing this by uh, trying to share practical tips that are coming actually from my day job, but also I'm doing the, the walks uh, as I'm talking. Um, this makes me think about the structure of these. So I'm gonna not stop myself going into segues that pop into my head as I'm walking, because I think this is where some of the real sweet spot for this kind of format is in. Um, and if you want an edited podcast, by all means, uh, the Place Brand Leaders podcast is where you should be going. This is where we structure things. We talk to experts. Uh, I'm helping to produce that with Florian at the Place Brand Observer. Uh, big thanks. But I think here, I'll, I'll use that to... Uh, discuss things but also yeah get sidetracked and that's fine so the first two things that kind of popped into my head as I was talking about the the walking and talking is that recently I saw in a in a paper about uh, what's called digital place making um, that some of the some of the, the ideas about location-based services that are provided on the spot like uh, like in in a very basic example uh, Google Maps and how Google Maps has now moved to offer you know, what's near me in a place-by-place place basis like uh, neighborhoods. Uh, they, they split. So it was discussing how uh, some of the more philosophical discussions from earlier times around understanding what's in a city by doing purposeful wandering or drifting uh, could be useful. And I didn't realize that that's what I'd been doing for for a long time. Uh, and that long time coincides with the time I've been doing my PhD mainly, because um, it seems that when you have ideas just in your head without any movement, it can create anxiety, unnecessary anxiety. And the act of movement, even if it's not related to the conceptual ideas, seems to relieve that unnecessary tension. Uh, what I've been calling kind of buzzing in my head. And given that I'm, you know, uh, what I do for a living in, a, in my day-to-day is also making me glued to the screen. I'm a user experience researcher. Um, so there's a lot of screen time. I don't think that's the best 
possible way uh, to just sit and receive information and uh, not have uh, bodily movement associated with that. I don't think it's healthy. So that's the first sidetrack. And uh, I think the other one was uh, just the kind of the rationale for the structure of this, uh, linking it all the way back to Greek philosophy where uh, walking and talking or peripatetics used to be the way to teach uh, as well. So you take a student on a walk uh, and then you take them around and cover all the lesson. I've actually tried that out. And if you have a, a circular walk, uh, it can also represent uh, a really nice hero's journey almost if anyone's familiar with that the joseph campbell idea of the circular of the hero's story where you start off fight off some initial challenges then there's a, a main big challenge and after the full cycle of the hero becoming uh kind of uh well reaching their end goal uh, they're back in the same spot where they started but uh, they're now uh, wiser, uh, so actually it's a different world. So I think that's kind of two of the more philosophical um, ideas as to why walking and recording a podcast was enticing, but also the more practical. I have a cool idea of spending ten, the next potential lockdown uh, by recording this when if I'm not able to go outside to actually do what I will be calling virtual reality drifting uh, in city drifting. So we've had an increase in the development of products and services that are related to digital placemaking. Uh, so like in their very basic sense, the, the guided tours that you could just you know visit Amsterdam without going there or just going on exploring the streets of a city. So I've had this idea of, uh, yeah, using a, a VR set of some sort or cheaper versions uh, to map out my discussions and mimic what I'm doing in reality with this. So we'll see if that's interesting. And I can, I've been thinking about combining that with a review of the how I would drift through the websites uh, representing those places as well uh, as part of the place marketing strategy of, of places and that's going to help uh, bring to the fore more practically how some of the, the digital place branding rules that i've got in mind okay so before i get into rule number one i've also got some more things on my list to mention just the to ground it into the here and now. A really current example of uh, place promotion that I've liked is uh, uh, Kazakhstan accepting their Borat heritage, let's call it, uh, after the second release, the release of the second movie. And they seem to have uh, released a campaign that kind of uses the tone of Borat uh, to promote the country. Uh, I think this has got legs. It's not, what if it wasn't just a stunt? And what if you don't think just about Kazakhstan, but any uh, post-communist country that seems to have this idea that uh, the creation of national pride uh, should be done through uh, megalomania and kind of you know, bigging up ourselves uh, because 
that's how it was done back in the day. It, it could be helpful as a as a way of thinking, because uh, most of the times what Borat does is he highlights uh, undesirable uh, values by pretending to really agree with them as a as someone that's uh, stereotypically uh, from that part of the world. Obviously, when you think about the, the, the movie, it actually mocks Western culture a lot more than it does the, the Eastern former bloc. So those countries can think about what we what they started doing in their place promotion. Yeah, you know, bragging that you're ranked in such and such spot for the one factor um, in a different ranking. Is that all that you could be doing with those rankings? Uh, I've been, you know, trying to say that ranking of places is not helpful. Though, but actually, it does have a uh, a good function. You know, if you track your ranking as a as a proxy measure, that's a bit better than just monitoring your GDP or financial well-being of of your country. By all means, you know, are we improving or decreasing? But uh, I think if you're using the reputation in the scenes, then, then that's tricky because even uh, Simon Anhold talks about reputation for countries being very stable with the, the notable exception of recently America sliding down, down the rankings. So uh, back to, to the point about Borat. My point is that uh, I'm originally from Bulgaria uh, love the country, but we know we have our own version of Borat, and that's actually been made uh, very prominent in a in a book written by one of our most famous uh, writers in the 20th century. Uh, we have our it's it, you know the character is called Vaiganyu, so he's uh, he's basically Borat, but a century before, and goes on to travel the world. To, he's a salesman of, I think it's, yeah, it's the rose oil, because that used to be a big uh, kind of resource that was available in Bulgaria, and a lot of people made money doing that. So he's a salesman going around Europe, and you just cringe all the time with how his value system does not necessarily fit uh, those of other countries, but also really what's happening is you're reflecting on uh, the national identity of the place. Obviously, this is very risky territory. And in a tone-deaf digital social media world, you're risking a lot by doing anything like trying to use an archety archetypes of your culture's identity to promote you know values that you want by showcasing those that you don't want in a character because anything related to place identity is always touchy you know it's a part of people's identity so who are you to to tell them uh, you know things about their identity very very dangerous waters but again why not risk it if we're going to see some executions of that that are not tone deaf 
focus on a long-term brand strategy around you know the values that you want to promote in in your country why not showcase the ones that you don't want uh just saying i think that's 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 quite an interesting topic that i don't think i can cover anymore but i think it makes the point yeah risk it um and i've got on my list something i also wanted to talk about is uh some of my reading recently has centered around um, emotion, uh, borrowing from the cognitive sciences. Um, I've had to read a lot more for my work uh, around human-centered design, uh, cognitive sciences, computer sciences. And I think this is going to be a nice uh, segue into, into the first digital place branding rule I want to talk about um, uh, emotion has steadily become raised a bit higher than it used to be uh, and it's not always seen as a negative uh, anymore as much as it was in some of the more prominent behavioral economics uh, discussions around uh, the difference between rationality and then seems to be emotion slash intuition on the other side. So dual processing theories, there's many versions of those. The most prominent is from Daniel Kahneman from his thinking fast and slow approach, whereby we're, we supposedly have two systems in our minds, generally speaking, with an intuitive one that is error prone and then a slow and deliberate one that can correct for some of the biases caused by the intuitive system. Now this is this is this was my entry point into researching behavioral economics and any behavioral and uh, cognitive science uh, for my PhD and because I thought my contribution would be around uh, stereotypes of how people stereotype each other uh, just in the way that you know Borat was probably a stereotype that people have in the West, the people in the Eastern Bloc. And I had experienced that myself as a Bulgarian. So I thought, you know, people should be biased uh, to stereotype this way uh, because they were consistently stereotypical, at least. So every time I would meet someone and have the small talk about where you're from, which normally is like one of the first three questions somebody asks you, and uh, I would say Bulgaria, and then they would ask me, oh, is it cold there? And that's happened so many times that I used to find it boring trying to uh, come up with a different way of, of responding to that, just to keep it interesting for myself. I hate small talk, uh, but I found out at one point that that's what was happening you know, in their heads because they knew little about Bulgaria and it was far away from what they're used to but it was close probably to something like Russia, associating with cold, cold. But really, Bulgaria is next to Greece. And if you, if you wouldn't ask anyone from Greece if, if it's cold there, right? You have, they're Mediterranean, you know, we're Eastern European, but they're Mediterranean. So how does that work? So geography clearly has this aspect. So that was my entry point, right? Uh, but from the dual system processing. But then I became, really interested in the literature uh, that uses emotions 
in in the place uh, in geography literature and how emotion from our surroundings gets uh, taken into feelings and memories of belonging and then puts uh, that into attachments and in its most deepest our identity uh, which I mentioned earlier could be something that is you know, very deeply held by people so we should be you know, handling it with care anytime we use it in any of our discussions or uh, promotions of a place. So where I'm at, at the moment after reading some of that literature around emotion, I'm mainly going to talk about works from Antonio Damasio and Lisa Feldman Barrett uh, that focus on emotion as a type of cognition, not necessarily as something separate, but uh, embodied very much focusing on emotion coming in from the outside, uh, taken into our body through our um, sense perception, and then that gets internalized. Uh, but then the process that I found interesting they talk about a lot is interoception, uh, which is separate from what you take from the outside, but it's for body regulation, but it can affect your reality uh, in the present moment. So effective realism is one of the words, one of the concepts that this film uses to describe how we feel at the moment and how that affects our perceptions of the world. And I don't think anymore that this is you know, useful as being thought about as, Oreo, get off the shit. Oh, my dog just made a mess of himself. Oh, you just laid down in shit. Go on, nope, nope. You're not gonna get any attention now. Anyway. Yeah, so that's what happens when you walk and talk. So my point is that emotion uh, taken in as a feeling, sometimes there is a lot of the bandwidth being used by interoception, which is about the internal body regulation that is not present in awareness, but that's not useful to be thought about as a bias. Because a bias is just an outcome and you try to correct for it, but Maybe there is multiple different ways that you reach a bias. So understanding the details of how exactly people are, um, how their emotion is affecting their decisions is very important. The reason I'm interested in this is because uh, I'm trying to contribute here with my PhD towards understanding more intuitive style uh, decision-making related to choosing where to live and especially focusing on, focusing on graduate or graduates uh, that are more broadly associated with the works of Richard Florida around the creative class and how do you attract that. Uh, but I, I'm really struggling to, to see how I could uh, help to stu study emotion through the methods of, that I've already chosen. They, you know, there's deep interviews with graduates and later I'll be talking to experts and practitioners about how, how they attract people. So I'm trying to see how the decision-making works uh, from both sides and the matches and mismatches. So um, I think that's uh, a very good way to, to bring it to uh, place branding rule number one, digital place branding. 
rule one is uh, you should build empathy with the users of your digital place branding communication. Now you can see I'm sticking to branding, even though communications tend to be classified as you know, marketing uh, materials. But I still, I still think place brand management is a process of the long-term brand strategy. Uh, marketing is about trying to find people that uh, match with that. They would, they would vibe with it. Uh, so I'm going to stick to that terminology, but I'm, as you can see, bringing in terminology and ways of thinking from digital user experience design, which is my day job, uh, as I mentioned, uh, where I've been thinking which, you know, how the methods that were originally used in marketing economics have basically been used into creating digital interfaces for people. But that, that's mutated a little bit. So now if we bring it back into something that's uh, more marketing related, then what can we learn? And the ways that digital designers build empathy with users has been eye-opening for me. Market research has often focused on quantitative studies and sometimes focus groups for new products, whereas in the digital world, the uh, qualitative in-depth methods of seeing how people interact with a, a prototype and then another iteration, another iteration and finding more, I've, I've really found eye-opening. So the key things the most in the most practical way about how to build empathy with users of your, let's say, let's I'm gonna use an example just to make it more practical, your city's uh, well, let's use the visitor website because that's easiest to think about um, rather than any of the other ones that might have some function where, you know, if you're a public organization, you're providing a service on there as well. Uh, that's, you know, not necessarily in the realms of, of place branding, but actually in public administration. So let's just keep those to the side. Your visitor website. The thing that you could do is just get five people, give them a scenario to achieve a goal on your website and observe in detail how they go about looking to satisfy that goal. Within the design, uh, it's by now understood that these five people might find as much as 89% of any of the problems with the, with the interface, but that's not something that seems to be well accepted in boardrooms, right? How can five people, it's just five, how do you generalize from five people? But the amount of observations you're gonna see from five people can get up to a hundred, you know, instances of clicks and instances of where they go. But for you to also see it and have the, the, the footage of that, because now you can record that, you can do it remotely, that can influence people at the decision-making table. So sometimes what I've used is actually not just me speaking and saying, you know, this is what I've seen a user do. You just have to let decision-makers see some of the pain points 
that people are experiencing. They just feel it for themselves. And you let them watch for two minutes how someone is trying to go to the home page and they can't find it. Because this then links to a bodily experience for uh, a decision maker rather than getting them into a discussion with you and a potential disagreement. So you can you can justify design recommendations and make your uh, digital place branding experience more usable. Uh, of course, you can see here I'm talking about usability. That doesn't necessarily mean the content. That's going to come in uh, another rule. But for now, build empathy with your users by selecting five people, doing a remote session where they share their screen, and you observe, and then note down all the pain points and instances of them. Present those to decision makers, and then, of course, make amends and iterate onwards and onwards. Whew, I just slipped. Oh, I'm so done. Again, oh, dangerous of the job. Whew, occupational hazards of walking and talking. Imagine if I had chewed gum as well as that. Right, I'm at the back at the end of my walk. So, do I feel like a hero that's been on a hero's journey, come back and learn something? Uh, definitely, definitely didn't expect to to say some of the things that I did, because I was again just going off on one. I guess that's what I was doing sometimes. But I hope that the 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 rule that I introduced. Uh, well, let's call it a rule of thumb, of course. So I'm going to be dramatic about calling the rules, but they're rules of thumb. Uh, hope that's useful to you all. And I'm going to create a series of these talks. Uh, so I hope you've enjoyed it. And I'll talk to you next time.